Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Film Alchemist podcast this month, brought to you by our sponsor, Manscaped. Yes, Manscaped. The only place where you can get items to make sure you don't accidentally flay your skin in the middle of a ritualistic uh, homicide. Griffey, <laughs> have you found yourself in said situation before? Oh, so many times I look down at my nethers and I just go, it's not me, as I'm in the middle of the throes of tentacle Lovecraftian God worship. No, <laughs> yeah, but Classic. I mean, there have been times you take off the old uh, pajamas you've been wearing for six days because it's quarantine. What are you doing? And, uh, <laughs> you recoil yes. in horror at, uh, at your body turning on you. Sometimes you're like, I need a weapon. I need a, a, a weapon to help me fight back the darkness of my nethers. And, uh. Manscaped's got you covered on that. The lawnmower, fully submersible underwater, has a light. Um, it is an amazing trimmer. Protects yes. the huevos. It's not trying to pinch and rip your skin off like like you're an evil uh, doctor doing <laughs> rituals. Uh, you doing get the, rituals. the weed whacker for nose hairs. Helps. It's the sanitary way to remove nose hair without getting infections. Yep. Uh, we've talked about this, though. The underwear. The oh, Manscaped yeah. underwear, Game I think they, they Manscaped almost made a business decision uh, that I disagree with. They almost should be underwear first because that's how good the Manscaped underwear yes, are. Yes, 100 percent. It's they're great. It's also great stocking stuffer uh, in theme yes, with this is. month. Uh, and uh, uh. in case you're running way behind on getting your stuff together. Um, but nevertheless, if you go to Manscaped.com. Uh, plug in the code FILM, F-I-L-M. You get 20% off and free shipping on your first purchase, courtesy of your friends at the Film Alchemist. And by using code FILM, you let Manscaped know uh, that we sent you. And that's a great way to help. That's a gift to the show as you give the gift of cleanly huevos to all of your friends and family. Uh, because it's 2020, man. We don't need to be uh, spreading another plague with our festering uh, lower halves because we're not doing the work and we're lazy unacceptable so help yourself out use code film at checkout on manscaped.com for 20 percent off and free shipping let them know that your friends at the film alchemist sent you take care of yourselves guys please on with the show Friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my consumed with loss, uh, white sheet wearing, triangle faced, dagger wielding co-host, Alex Dandino. Absolutely. There you go. All right, tonight, another amazing stocking stuffer. But before that, some business. Uh, again, guys, you probably, hopefully, listened to our Manscaped ad. Use code FILM at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Let them know that your friends here sent you uh, for the best gift of your life. Helps us out a lot. Thank you. If you're here with us, please take a second and leave a rating and review wherever you find the show. Everyone does truly help us, guys. A quick five stars, a quick sentence about why you uh, enjoy spending time with us. It helps us out enormously, and it's a nice way to warm our hearts this Christmas season. A very simple gift 
for your pals here at the uh, the Film Alchemist podcast. Please be sure to go to YouTube, subscribe to our channel, Film Alchemist. Lots of good stuff coming over there, including video format uh, versions of these podcasts you're listening to now. You can find us on all the social media you're on. We love to interact with you guys there. We got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the stuff. If you're there, we're there. Hook it up. Also, you can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with your ideas for movies you'd like to hear covered. New, old, double features, guest host, which we're going to try to up our game on more this next year. Get some more new voices into the box. We had a really good year with that this year. We did. So we're hoping to grow that out. Um, Always a good time. But yeah, get at us. Filmalchemistpod at gmail.com is an awesome way to reach out with us and help us give you the show that you guys want and deserve, man. So uh, thank you for those of you who've been doing all that. All right, enough business. As you know, every December, we stuff your stockings. Uh, we come down your chimney. We cram your... St- no, we don't do any of that. But we do it here on our podcast feed. All right, so listener selection today from uh, Twitter. Our friend Danny Girl on Twitter uh, suggested a movie that I absolutely love. I absolutely can't believe we haven't gotten to yet. Um, cause it's one of those that came out of nowhere for me. I, I heard rumblings. I saw it. It knocked me on my fucking ass and I enjoyed it so, so much. Uh, tonight by, by choice of, oh, Danny girl, the void. Yes. Alex, had you seen the void before initial thoughts? Yes, I had actually, this popped up on Netflix. I think a year or two ago. I don't remember when, but I remember waiting for it because I'm like, oh, I like Lovecraft stuff. So I watched it and thought it was totally awesome. Uh, It was a weirder watch this time. I will say this is one of those movies that's kind of hard to watch more than uh, it's fun to watch more than once. It's hard to watch once sort of like all the gags are revealed a little bit, but not doesn't detract from my pleasure of watching Lovecraftian tentacle monsters and just some great good old fashioned. I tell you this, I didn't know this movie was crowdfunded, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to love about the making of this film. Again, like you said, just the, the use of actual real effects, real life effects, right? That always means the world to me. And we don't see it a lot. Um, They could have, they could have cut corners and gone somewhere, you know, Get the quickest, dirtiest CG you could get, and they didn't do it. And I think the movie no. is great for that. I do. I agree with you in a way. This movie's really different. It's been a while. Um, the claustrophobia and the horribleness of the people really leap out at you in 2020. <laughs> yes. Where you're just like, oh, boy, this is rough. Yeah. Um, the narrative's a little cloudier than I remembered, so we're going to hack through some of that. But what it is is I, I do think there is – it's kind. Of, it's so funny. I was reading all these articles, right? What's the 2020 movie, right? And they talk of Jaws, Jurassic Park, Contagion, all these things. The Void might be a really good contender, right? This absolute tiny inconsequentialness that we all feel, right? The inability yes. to change anything in our life for the better. We can fight. We can try. We desperately want to run, but we can't because there's little white triangular monsters outside scaring us back in, uh, you know, just a soul sub basement of like unresolved, horrible things. This movie could actually be a perfect 2020 movie. Um, but yeah, man, it's, 
It is not for the faint of heart, the void. No. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting, like, I get, it's, I don't know what it is, but I think practical effects just always, I don't know why I'm less grossed out by practical effects than I am by, like, anything else. It's weird. It shouldn't be the case, given You're my, less like, grossed out when it's practical? Yes. It shouldn't be my ca- the really? case, given my track record, but, like, I don't know, I did watch The Evil Dead, so at this point, it's kind of like, you know, everything's pretty much, <laughs> everything's pretty much on mute from here on out, <laughs> as far as that goes. No, um... <laughs> You know, the thing that I like the most about this movie is it borrows all these great bits and great gags from movies of its ilk and does such a good job of honoring that without just saying, like, all right, let's just remake the thing or let's just do Hellraiser or literally any of the other movies that involve Cronenbergian monsters with uh lots of, you know, indecipherable hellscape um monuments and so on and so forth like but the thing that i liked the most about it honestly is just this thing kicks off so quickly and it's not necessarily (laughs) it doesn't necessarily bother me the way that i the way it did initially i remember watching this the first time being like boy this movie's really in a hurry to get somewhere because like it is 90 minutes long and i'm like i appreciate that of course i have a kid anybody with children knows like the shorter the movie the better (laughs) but like and especially, like, I was home alone today and watching with the kid, and I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to – I texted you. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pull this one off. Like, the other one we had to watch today, I was like, yeah, that one's easy. I'll just put that one on in the background, and he, he won't, he'll, like, walk away and play with toys. This one, I was like, man, if he watches this, I might permanently fuck him up, so I'm going to have to, like, quietly yeah. do it on my phone. But, yeah, like, it was um, – <laughs> which I didn't. I ended up blowing it up on the my TV. But it is so, like – it's just like it starts very quickly and there's no preamble too, which is always the thing that I'm waiting for in movies like this is they want to explain a lot up front. Not the case in this one. It does a good job of doing the thing that <laughs> the thing does, which is you have to sort of discover it on your own on the way. And eventually they get to like actually saying like the thing is much different. Obviously this one they have to explain because there's a little more Lovecraft going on. But yeah, yeah. Well, I would also say by the end of the film, you could argue that we don't fucking learn anything about what's happening. I would happening. actually, uh, I would, I would not argue with you on that point at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> and this is kind of, it's one of my favorite writing lessons I ever read. It was from David Mamet, right? Everything you write, cut out the first 15 pages in the last 15 pages and see what you have left, right? That's the story. Right. Right. That a lot of time we waste an enormous amount of time doing setup. You know, uh, preambles all like I don't need to see this nurse in her lonely apartment before she goes to work. I don't need to see him like looking at an empty nursery, right, where a boy should have been. You don't need any of that. You you kind of pick these things up as you go. And it adds I think in this movie, especially right, because this movie just comes out. Right. So I just I was kind of making notes as I was watching. I was like a scream, a blood curdling scream, a triangle, someone running, gunshot, burned alive robe guy you're like oh fuck okay you're like that's all in the first because a lot of horror movies now right they do the cold open right so here's a cold open it is essentially here is the 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 thesis sentence of what we want to scare you about this movie right this will be a a microcosm of the horror of this film and then they go back and do preamble which is really hard to suffer this one finds a way to keep it Keep that pace up pretty fucking fast while doing 
the uh, the the feeding you information phase, which I thought was yeah. really impressive. I like that a lot. I mean, it does a lot of work, and I think that's the thing that I like the most is it does a lot of work without boring me to tears or anything like that. And that's something that I think you could. That's something that skilled filmmakers do that I think is really important. And it's a very important aspect of telling these, this kind of story is like you can get bogged down. I mean, like by the end. And again, I agree. I have I still have no idea what the ending is. And we're going to have to talk about that. But like, <laughs> yeah, you can get bogged down so quickly with like the muck and mire of like how things work and what the actual parameters of the story that they're trying to tell are, which is like, oh, there's, yes, yeah, some dimensional traverse and there's a guy who's a cult leader essentially and there's a bunch of people in rooms like you could really like dive into that and bore the shit out of your team and bore the shit out yeah. of the people who want to be on your team but like at the end of the day they don't do that they almost immediately get into the action which is cool like after the cold open of course which is literally like immediately we're gonna hang a burn an emulated person on the scoreboard which i'm like <laughs> cool Great. Yeah. We're starting it off right. It's also one of those two, though, right? Like, imagine the the somewhat boogeyman of the start of the film, right, is twofold, right? right? We've got a uh, mm -hmm. Carhartt guy, the world's grumpiest man, right, in the Carhartt. <laughs> it is quiet boy, you know, henchman, right? His son, I think. Um, So that's kind of one. You're like, oh, they're just shooting and burning people. That's not... Not uh, in the uh, the social contract, so there may be bad. <laughs> and then we cut to uh, all these things are happening, right? Uh, you just have these robed figures with a black triangle on their face. Right. And I think as Americans, we're especially trained to know white robe bad. Right? Yes. So <laughs> Definitely. So there, Definitely there's there. a bit of this movie, too, where you don't need to stop and be, I don't need to see them robing up. I don't need to see them praying all in unison somewhere, right? There, right. There's a thing that right. happens in some horror movies where, and I'm very guilty of this in things I've written, you just get images stuck in your head of, fuck, that's a horrifying image. But sometimes mm -hmm. it comes back to that Halloween and Jaws and movies like that where the more you absolutely show me everything and explain what, the, the unknown is the scariest thing in the mind, right? So the more you, like, there's nothing they could have added to those characters that make them more scary, right? They are just this sentinel wall uh people in robes with daggers for some reason not letting these people out of this fucking hospital right. so before it even takes the supernatural turn that's really fucking horrifying and a big part of it is because you're just like why yeah exactly i think you that's <laughs> a great thing to start that's a great thing to get into the movie like you get to what the 20 minute mark maybe and that's the first, yeah, like, that's the big is question it, you start like, having. All goes apeshit, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, those guys, like, that scene, like, where, that scene where um, the cop runs outside and gets stabbed by the cult, the cult leader, you're like, okay, so not only are these people, like, just not letting people leave, they're also fully willing to stab, like, you can't, like, there's no safety. And I think that's the thing that's great is the why is counteracted or sorry, not not counteracted, but the why is pretty much furthered by the fact that not only is it why, but also, oh, God, super dangerous to go outside right now. It's so yeah. dangerous to <laughs> run away from this situation. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's exciting. And it's that also it's gives also you pause. And you don't have to wonder why a... people are staying at the location. Yeah, well, that's the great thing, right? A lot of pressure cooker movies are. 
the inside is really bad. This one is the outside's also like a lot. This is kind of a zombie movie thing they do, right? Outside is where you get eaten, but inside is where the real monsters are, and that's us. In that scene where they the fucking uh, grumpiest man in the world fucking shoots his way into the hospital, right? He comes in and he's just like, I'm going to smack everyone around and start shooting that guy. Uh, and next thing you know, they're like, fuck, we've just dealt with a nurse murder, a face peel. Uh, world's worst, like, ah, I'm the old timer on the force. I'm going to dress you down. Because you didn't pre-crime this scene, right? That fucking asshole, right? Like, I must say I was pretty stoked when he got dragged away because I was like, I the, if the movie suffers one thing to me, it is that almost <laughs> to a fault, every character is repellent to me, right? And I tell you, we're on, a, we're on a streak here with, like, movies that are just full of repellent human beings, right? This we really one are. is we have, like, pretty rough because – yeah. <laughs> It's weird. I don't know. I'm not sure I felt necessarily. No, eh, that's not true. See, like, I really want to say that, like, um, I really want to say that I was rooting for the sheriff. But at the end of the day, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> it's weird. I I was I'm this is the strange thing about the movies we've watched where people have been totally abject pieces of shit is like. I'm still engaged somehow. Like, and it's not yeah. like, oh, I'm a nerd, so I want to watch cool creature effects or see how this all plays out. I'm still engaged in the story. And that I think is probably yeah. part of the um the magic of the magic of these guys directing this movie is saying, like, well, so everyone here everyone here pretty much sucks, but you still want them to survive. I think that's kind of the crazy thing is I can't really uh, quantify yeah. why I care about them surviving or at least sure. not getting like absorbed by a giant tentacle monster or into a voidish white black hole essentially. <laughs> but well, there, that, I just think imagine the, the world they lay the out for us though. Yeah. Like take a second and imagine the world they lay out for us. Right. So we have a uh, country strong Draco Malfoy. Rolls in with this guy who's escaped a mass shooting and immolation, right? He just rock right. bottoms this dude onto the stretcher and starts yep. giving this nurse guff. And you're just like, fuck that guy. Then you find out, oh, fuck, that's his wife. Or you don't even find that out till they go charging down to the bay. But anyways, he knows her. They're close, but not anymore. Right. Uh, dead kid. Yikes. That's kind of brutal. Oh, no. White supremacists are surrounding the building. Oh, no, a guy who looks like he should be wearing a robe busts in and starts fucking waving a rifle around. So it, it is this right. <laughs> universal collage of American fears. Just So you're like, even if this guy sucks, right, which I would argue the sheriff in this movie, I pretty much would have tentacled him myself if I could have, right? Because his two modes are, I'm going to do a fake tough guy or calm down. Calm down. If he said calm down one more time, I would have shot him myself. <laughs> the only character in the movie that I actually felt bad for was like, she, I, I, it was uh, Knives. I really wanted Knives Chow to make it out of there. That's where she's from. Yeah, the nursing students here are like, that sucks. She seemed to be have like a little pep. Like her life's ahead of her, right? Yeah. Uh, even the younger son, right? He's seen some shit. You can tell he's like, yes. he's in yeah. the war now, right? Uh-huh. But those two characters are all of the older people. You're just like, fuck. But it actually yeah, this that's suck. what I think they they kind of manage, though. Right. It's, it's this juggling act between these are events that any one of us would be like, 
fuck this. I'm yes. out. I'm hiding in a closet. I don't care if anyone else in this building's okay. Fuck all. And then you just have the grandpa in the corner. Hey, put my teenage daughter first. I don't care about what's happening. I'm punching. And it's like, shut up, old man. Like, we got bigger <laughs> fish to fry than your your daughter's like stum- tummy pains, right? Like it's it's one of those unwinnable scenarios across the board. Yeah. And then they give him just this is the the kind of brilliant conceit of the movie too is what this movie is is once they enter that that hospital, right? Cuz one of the things that kind of bugs me when I watch the film is the narrative of this film is sloppy at best, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like even trying my best to to bend these, you know, <laughs> different bars of the narrative to like congeal in my mind. They truly don't. But what it is is you get all of these people that, for the most part, and again, not knives and you know a couple others, right. but almost every character is is swimming in an immense personal hell of loss. Yes, right. This tremendous just depression and loss of even self, the main, loss even the main of purpose. Man, you know? Even Doctor Pell, yeah, like huge every person in this movie, right? Even the teenage daughter, the grandpa, like you can imagine. They're dealing with some things, right? Uh, again, except for maybe knives. And, and so what it becomes is you put them in this horrendous scenario where everywhere they turn, there is a recognizable, horrible event waiting to occur, right? It's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure, but, you know, every one of them is written by Clyde Barker. And then right. it's, you know, or you can kind of sit quietly and talk amongst yourselves all you broken people and you know you'll be nice to each other right nope nope you won't this is even terrible too right the old timey narrator's like i don't know what to say anymore (laughs) yes it's i mean it's such a weird like it's such a weird balancing act and i think that's interesting because seconds before we see our first like super like, I don't want to say it's the first weird thing we see because you see a woman like literally peeling her face off. That's very <laughs> weird to me. Well, I don't you know start about with you. the burning lady. Yeah. Yeah. But the first time we see a creature, mm-hmm. up until that point, you're like, most of these people are terrible and someone's just going to kill everybody tonight. Like, that, yeah. I think, is the kind of crazy thing is the movie is sort of like tempting you to believe that, like, you saw the poster, you saw the trailer, you saw the name of the movie, you saw the people in the white robes already, clearly something's amiss, but you're assuming, like, you know what, somebody's just, like, trying to, it's like um that, it's like that movie, The Sacrament, like, clearly they're just weird cultists and that's just their gag, you know? Yeah. It's not until that cut of... um the nurse's uh, throbbing head with tentacles flying out of it. You're like, huh? <laughs> well, all right then. Like there is something new going on here. And it immediately like stops being this like kind of human drama almost. I mean, it's still there, but it stops being this thing where you're like, well, this is all very believable. Everybody sucks. And I understand. Oh shit. never mind. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes much more than that. And I think that's the thing that I like. What's very smart about this movie is, it's not that they're disguising something like that because it's not that necessarily a, a bad movie at all. Mm-hmm. I love this movie, but 
What I like about it is that it transitions you into another phase almost immediately by seeing something like that. And you automatically are waiting for that to come. So you're not necessarily as focused on like, man, all these angry whites are just going to shoot each other. And you're much more focused like, when is whatever <laughs> that is going to show up and kill everyone? Yeah. Well, there's also this part, too, that the people in white, right, the robed white people outside. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a part of the movie where it almost begins to play. It almost becomes this uh, Dante's Inferno setup, right? Where sure, yeah, totally. When he got when he got stabbed outside, there was a part of me that thought, "Oh, they're all dead now," because he comes inside and the shot selection is very interesting, right? When they lay him down, he is gushing, gushing fucking blood, blood yeah. everywhere. They cut back and they're like, "I fixed him up," and there's like three drops on the floor, and you're like, "I'm not a fucking medical expert." Even my wife's like. Uh, no, he's not pale. He would need like units. Uh, n no. And then all of a sudden you hear gunshots right. and the world's grumpiest Carhartt guy runs in. And I was like, oh, they got fucking killed trying to break in. Now they're purgatory ghost. Right. It doesn't play all the way, but I thought that's where they're turning. Right. Because as he's getting stabbed or that the, the catalyst for him getting stabbed, as it were, was a horn the lights bust off. So that's our first sign like, oh, something more supernatural. The phone's not working. That's classic. Cut them off. Right. The CB radio's not working. The lights go off and we hear a horn. That's something more. Right. So then it's, is this some kind of actual oppressive supernatural force? Or are we delving into this, you know, kind of philosophical symbolism? And I think the fun thing about the movie is they don't really fucking waste time answering that. No, they do. They give you these big mystical icons and say, fucking have fun with it, man. Yeah, I, like I, that I think too. that's great. I mean, I think that's probably the things the movie is strongest at is not wasting time. Like, I don't feel yeah. like I don't feel like frames of this movie are wasted on subplots. I don't need to know anything about like everything <laughs> is pretty a plotted here and it's all very streamlined. And for me, works really well. Even stuff like even great, like. I love that first uh, the nurse creature thing that that battle of yeah. where they start just like hacking it to pieces. I, I just love that shit. My wife was watching it with me and she goes, "What the fuck is that thing?" I'm like, "It's a fucking nurse, man." <laughs> yeah. That's you. That's what's on the inside of you. <laughs> That's us, man. No, uh, the only thing about that is like, can we not do the fucking Spencer's gift strobe lighting? No thanks. Oh, yeah, like was... breaking my fucking eyeballs, but. You know, there is always that there is always that little gag, but I love that fucking monster because the thing that I, I don't know if it really sat on me. The thing I thought was so fucking cool about that monster is I, I kind of just really was looking at it today and it looks like a big lump of hamburger meat. Right. Yes. With like tentacles coming out. It's like a roper from D&D &D or some shit. And like a body and, uh, on the front the cool of it. The thing is. Yeah. With like her head. And it's yeah. just draped over like the way the kids try on Halloween costumes at a store. Oh, yeah, totally. And I, I was like, love that. that was such a fucking. I love when the way a monster presents is really motivated by the world that it's taking yeah. place in. And that's a great example of it's this husk, right? This is like all of the horrible, gnarly stuff that was inside of her pouring out. Right. And all that's uh -huh. left is just that little fucking skin suit of her. Yeah, still attached though. I oh man, I thought that was fucking. Oh, I love beautiful. that. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, now that is something I have not seen before. That is fucking gross, and I loved it. Yeah, they kind of slip away from that as we get into the 
the subterranean hell phase. Now it's yeah. just more nightmarish image, right? That's where it starts to get a little more Silent Hill to me at times. Sure, totally. Um, they still have just fucking great work. Like the one that will forever be seared into my nightmare zone is the because uh, the the doctor when he comes back and now he's like the undead monologue machine. Yeah. He's like, ha, <laughs> I've shed the mortal coil and restriction on one-liners. Yeah. He's like, I'm totally free. Yeah. And, uh, He's but just that, walking the, around like a Hemingway novel. Just <laughs> He's like, jot this down. Jot this down. This is good. Yeah. Audience of one. Here we go. But he, uh, <laughs> but he says that the creatures in the basement are like his other experiments. He can't let them die. Or he won't let them die. Right. Right. Uh, but the one that's just trying to kill itself, headbutting the pole. Yeah. And there's just that massive hole in the face. You hear that disgusting wet. <laughs> every time it headbutts. Oh, <sighs> that is some of the most cringy shit I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, to yeah. me, it just it hit me really viscerally. I mean, it's it all that all that that part particularly always hits me. It's so <laughs> gross. Like that. That is. <laughs> The brundle flyness of those kinds of things. Like, that's the part that I'm always just like, oh, my God. Like, when a creation is like, give me. Like, that's the kind of shit that's yeah. just. Like, but, like, the, the, the brutality of, of it, that man. headbutt, right, is what makes it scary. Because yeah. all the other creatures in the basement are like, oh, look, they got a contortion guy to walk like a crab. And, oh, look at that. And you're like, that shit's cool. That's sure. cool. But it doesn't get that extra level. The futility of this monster trying to kill itself. Is it just it it it's so unnerving, right? It's so anti the natural order. It's it's blasphemous. It's this like level of sadness. Like it's like oh that's disgusting, and then you're like oh that. That's a good way to say it. It's humanizing the creature that we're watching. Totally. I mean, it's this level of sadness we're not associating with a movie like this, and then when you see it, you're like oh my god, it's so much more brutal than you ever could have thought. Which is like it's. Very gross to look at. It's a horrible noise to make. And then you realize it's constantly just, it's just trying to kill it. So you're like, oh my God, this thing is in like absurd pain or torture of some kind. And all at once mm-hmm. is the sweet relief. And you're like, Jesus, in a movie like this, <laughs> that might be the most terrifying thing in the whole fucking movie is just like this horrible monster just trying to off itself. Like that, that definitely is the thing yeah. that sticks with you. Totally. But that that's what that's what is really great is that something like that, right? They give us every monster in the movie's actually somewhat sympathetic, right? Totally. Um they start the movie with a cop who's like, uh, should I drive this almost dying guy an extra hour so I don't have to see my ex? Maybe. And you're like, Oh, so these people all suck. <laughs> but the monsters are relatable and have pathos, you know what I mean? Like, that's really fucking cool. Yeah. And yeah, it is one of those movies too. It plays like this absolute fucking pinata explosion. Yeah. Like once it hits and everyone's locked in, it, it absolutely is a fucking rocket. Oh ship yeah. It just goes man to the next pacing. Right. But one of the thing I think is that as, as the pinata is exploding and the fucking visual dark sinewy candy is just fucking giving us a money shot. Right. There's a lot of really good small beats that are occurring, right? Yeah. And I think by the end of the film, I think what happens is in a movie where most of the characters are pretty fucking prickly and you're not truly rooting. I think by the end you do because they're they're 
their trashiness as human beings is linked back to these very personable, relatable tragedies, right? Right. And even the monsters are that. One of the things that did not really land with me the first time, right, is uh, they kind of do this quick information drop that the Mm -hmm. doc has a box of... here. Okay, let me take one second and try to lay out what I think's happening in this movie, right? Because if I'm being honest, I have no idea why any of this happens the way it does, right? right. So the doc has a slaughter slash drug slash whorehouse right. where he is just, you know, take it to the limit to do past the edge of no control. That's what's happening in his house, but not like an 80s montage, like really all the grossest stuff, right? Right. Like a human centipede house, right? So... That's what's happening at his house because he found a library book somewhere that said, hey, this is how you master death and contact these old ones that bless you. So somehow he's getting drug addicts to watch rapes and murders and mutilations. He has other people that get aware of the robes and seemingly are his henchmen and muscle. Yet when he most needs them to take control of the building, they don't. They just stand outside. <laughs> and then at the end, they get Gallagher. And he can make a subterranean basement. He's already undead. That's what I mean. Like, you start adding it up, and you're like, none of this adds up to me. What, what it really boils down to is this guy became a horrible man, a Clyde Barker character because he lost his daughter. Right. right. And the, the, you know, the fucking country strong Malfoy and the nurse, <laughs> they lost a kid. Yes. Right. Uh, angry Carhartt mannequin. He lost a kid and a wife. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's mad that his son didn't protect him, right? So there's a lot of that building out to where you're like, even though these people are repulsive to hang around, right? Right. It is understandable, man. Because I think we'd all be closer to that in a movie than like the, oh, I'm going to go travel Europe and eat desserts until I've had my emotional epiphany, right? Right. Like, I think we'd all probably be like the people in this movie. I would agree. I mean, I think. I'm that, sorry, I don't know. Is there anything I missed on the plot of this movie? Because I'm not sure that any of that. I mean, makes sense I to feel me like still. those items you just described make the most sense to me. Except, I don't know, man. Like honestly, it feels like yeah, the book thing. I mean, it, it's all very borrowed, like concept. Yeah. But to me, yeah, the book thing makes sense. Um. Mainly because of Lovecraft. Like, that's always the first thing I think of when I see stuff like this is, like, I have to, like, start remembering. (laughs) This is kind of funny. I have to start remembering um, someone bought my kid the um, Horton Hears a Cthulhu or whatever. The Cthulhu uh, (laughs) Dr. Seuss book. And actually, I had never read read At the Mountains of Madness or anything like that. (laughs) So, that actually is very informative. Um, But... Yeah, it is just like a book that drives people insane. But at the same time, the main thing that I always came back to when this movie, when I saw this movie the first time, was like he's doing this because his daughter died. It's a it's a matter of not. But here's the thing: like the grief process and that kind of thing. Like I feel like it's it's not necessarily about defying death because clearly he could bring his daughter back, but. It's not about defying death. It's about <laughs> yeah. defy. It's about defying. This is gonna sound stupid and kind of pla- like platitudey, but like it's about defying the logic of death. Like I should not have to be a slave to the 
goings on of this universe. I should be able to rise above that. And because of that, I should be able to resurrect my daughter. I should be able to be a master of death itself. Not only that, a master of another universe's version of death. Like in death, there is life and all that other crazy shit that kind of comes up when you start talking about Cthulhu, Lovecraft and so on and so forth. So to me, yeah, I think what you're saying makes sense. I think that there are a lot more, there's a lot more depth to Powell's journey and how he got there. But I mean, you know, for the purposes of watching a 90 minute movie about a guy who opens a portal to a hellscape, he's just a crazy fucker. And he uh, wants to yeah. bring his daughter back, you know? Well, it plays, there's a Lovecraft story, the Dunwich Whore, right? That's yep. really what this one reminds me of is oh yeah, occultists dabbling and dabbling and dabbling until they start essentially physically manifesting into demons or you know, fucking demons, you know, all the, right. by the end, like, it's just, ah, look at him with his robe off. He's like lower half goat. He's like a weird eight foot tall fucking, you know, Amish children of the corn looking <laughs> right. motherfucker. Right. And then there's like a giant fucking mutant storming around the cliffs, eating barns and shit. And that's what that one is, right? It's like one of the journeys he travels to universities. He's like, I need this fucking book. It has the spell I need. And they're like, no. And he's like, damn it. And then he comes back later to steal it. But it's like he's just seek. And that's like a that's a classic Lovecraft motif is someone seeking this extra level. Right. right. And I think what you're saying is not even I don't think it's completely off. Right. That I think it's the inevitability of death. Right. That's what it, right. it seems arbitrary and unfair. Right. I, I think the doctor says at one point. Right. There's nothing worse than having to lose a child and i think every parent can understand that oh, yes. um it's just a horrendous thought right uh i mean i think me probably everyone you'd be like yeah i'm done like if that happened you'd be like fuck this yep um and i think in that moment though what you're doing is not even the inevitability the illogic the randomness of death right is the the grief that's what you can't bear anymore they're gone and you can't fix it, right? He's a man. He says he's like, I spent my whole life resisting death, right, as a medical doctor. I think he sees everything as an orderly problem. This is broken. Fix it. Right. And he looks at this and he's like, there's no orderly way to get through the grief of losing a child. Right. This will – this is my new reality for all time. In a way, he's already entered another reality and through a portal of misery. Right. Well, it has and that, so then he goes seeking, and he gets that the classic. This is also wish wish fulfillment horror, right? Well, he kind of has that what, from beyond vibe, you know. Like that's what yes. I thought of a lot when he was kind of giving his whole spiel, or when they were explaining it. Then especially when he came back as like the, I guess the flayed man you'd may say, or some sort of mutant mutant type of flayed man. All I could think of was from beyond and a doctor. I can't remember Pretorius. 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 Thank you. Like, that was the first thing I thought of. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Pretorius was just trying to get interdimensional nuts. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that he's guy was just, like, just trying to bow yeah, down all over the place. He's just like, <laughs> he makes uh, sex into this symphony of fucking leather and whips and clips. And then he's like, one little orgasm is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> so then he becomes a fucking pudding pop so he can fucking <laughs> orgasm from, you know, everywhere. Ethereally. This guy's is more rooted. I think oh, one definitely. of the things I didn't take, though, is that when I watched it the first time, I just took him as this sadistic. This was a man who went too far. He had no respect for life or nature. Right. I actually found it very different this time, right? I think what it is is I think there's a real sad, tragic nature to him in a way that you see the things in the basement that he's mutated. 
Yeah. You think about that house and everything he did there. So all of this pain and suffering, right? He's like, I, I defy death, I think is what he's saying, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm going to help you all. The only thing he's done is just inflict exponentially more misery into his reality, right? Right. And the fact that he can't see or experience that as reality talks to the depth of his, his grief and fucking misery, right? And so I think there's a sadness to those things in the basement. I think there's a sadness to him talking, you know, uh, to the nurse and just being like, I'll give you what you want. I'll help you guys out. Right. Um, and then by the time he he revives his daughter, right, take this empty vessel, right? He foist his daughter into this teenage psychopath we fucking meet. Right. Um, he sees her for like half a second. She goes fucking snuffleupagusing into the other room. <laughs> Yes. And that's the last he ever sees of her. He keeps monologuing. So the entire, you know, engine of his, you know, right. journey to this extreme, you know, soul-destroying path is kind of shown to us to be bullshit. Right. Well, I mean, I guess you could put that in the category of, you know, absolute power corrupts. Because, yeah. I mean, to assume you can defy death. Like, again... It's an unknowable thing, but to assume that you could defy death, to assume you have that power, yeah. I mean, what's the point of anything else? Like, I think that's the crazy yeah. thing is it starts with something meaningful, and by the end, he's so consumed by the ability he has. It's not about the result; mm-hmm. it's the ability that he has that becomes so enchanting, so important to him. It's not about the end result of getting his daughter back, or like providing a vessel for his daughter so to speak it's about being able to do it for all time to be an in, to be infinity i think that's the thing that's kind of cool about the character is he is steeped in tragedy but it's his own it's a tragedy of his own making like he didn't kill his daughter or anything like that but yeah. he certainly doesn't care enough you're right though he doesn't care enough to stop what he's doing in the middle of it and go oh, returned no you know? No, I mean, he could have helped that teenage girl. He could you know, have not put whatever the fuck was inside of her. He in could there. have joined a Big Brothers Big um, Sisters program. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways he could. A man with his talents and capabilities can help a fuck. It's kind of the Batman problem, right? Is that uh, Batman using Robin as a bullet shield right. and a fucking crowbar shield is not tragic. It's inevitable. You don't ask nine-year-olds, uh, oh, you've got a minimal amount of circus training and a heart full of sadness come put on this bright red suit so everyone will fucking shoot at you and try to kill you while i go around brooding and doing shakespeare in the park you know like that's <laughs> that's the inevitable concept bruce wayne could give robin a huge trust fund <laughs> set him up in town uh he could get his own alfred who's like a master studier tutor right. whatever the fuck the word is for what smart people do they're training masters right the ninja master of book learning. Uh, and that guy could become great and fix Gotham. But instead, he's going to run around and punch other hurt people, right? And Batman in this movie, really, they, they just follow that age-old saying, right? Misery loves company. right? And so that's kind of what this becomes, is all of these miserable people just being sucked down into this red door with the triangle. Um, I'm not sure I ever settled fully on the triangle. You know what I mean? I didn't know if that was a father son and holy ghost thing um i mean i think that it's just one of those i think (laughs) 
I mean, I I definitely don't think it's Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I think triangles are just triangles are just that shape that make people wonder. I mean, it's it's why well, they're it's, the most stable, right? Well, they don't roll. They don't, it's boom. It just it looks right. <laughs> well, not only that, but like it is mystifying in its existence, anyways, though, because it's everything built on a slant. So it's mystifying that it holds itself up as well. It might be stable because it won't roll over, but it's certainly it's curious how it stays up. So I'd say Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it's called. I think in Wicca, because we talked about this on um the Color Out of Space podcast, mm-hmm. right? Cause she has a triangle on her neck. And it's like a, in witchcraft, it's about funneling energy upward right. into a a higher power. Sure. That would make right? sense. Right. So maybe some of that. I mean, in this one, the fucking triangle should be it's just pooping your energy down into whatever that demon was that Gallagher's those fucking people. Uh, that was one of my favorite shots is when it rips out of the teenage psychopath girl. Yeah. And they just were like, bucket. Then he steps on the fucking, uh, you know, triangle Klansman bucket. Right. <laughs> I was just like, it's Gallagher. It's, it's a Gallagher demon, right? That's not his daughter hanging from the front of the, the hamburger. It's, it's Gallagher too. Right. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I just think it's a mystifying image. Like, I, th- I that's yeah. I mean, a triangle is just a great. I mean, it's why it's on the dollar bill. With like, it's a half, it's a half built one on the dollar bill. It's, uh, it's supposed to elicit mystery. I'm not sure that there's necessarily it anything just, to but, it other than but, that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I thought maybe it being on the face, right? The the eyes, like they're all giving their power. I could be to me what it is though this this is a movie that just it fucking crushes vis- visual iconography right yes. there are just so many frames of this movie that you could just put up in front of me and be like, oh, and yeah. just stare at it slack jawed like it it's eliciting all of this mental energy totally me, right and i think that's really lovely man uh walk me through something else i hadn't quite keyed in on uh, is the sheriff having previsions oh, yes. of this mystical reality and viscera and tissue around a heartbeat? Is that viscera and tissue the unborn yes. uh, head-smashing Gallagher, or was that his own child? Oh, no, I think it's his kid. You think it's his kid? I do. Yeah, see, because I kind of wondered that, too. I assume it's his kid because again, because Powell later in the movie, Powell like is on the phone with him and says like, I like he saw the vision. Like he's saying, he's telling him what he saw in his vision. I mean, it would make a lot of sense that he would show him something like that. Not only that, but he'd make a lot of sense that it would be, that would be something that would stick with him. Like a that, yeah. that works for me. I mean, Ultimately, I, I think it's just a matter of he's probably the one who's most like besides I think policies a lot of himself in the sheriff and the nurse for that matter. And I think that's what it is, is he knows that these are the people who, given the opportunity, might actually go in on this with him, like might actually be a part of this to the point where they want what the, they want, what was taken from them back. Like, that's the kind of thing that he's offering is this like drunk with power you know, bacon man is literally sitting there saying like, listen, I will, I could be, I could, I could make you happy by bringing anything by bringing this person, by bringing this child back to you by bringing anything like watch me do it. And I mean, that's a, that's an incredible power. That's why like the ending is so cool to me. The ending's a very interesting, that's a very interesting ending to me. Yeah. Well, he becomes this like the weirdest Instagram influencer. It's like, you see this bod, (laughs) this can all be yours. Yeah. Just do horrible things and a rape slaughter. (laughs) 
Or He's got a real weird it, QVC thing going on. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you're not exactly the the physical embodiment of where I'm I'm hoping to go in 2021, fella. Yeah, but, I'm not know, sure anybody wants thing. to look like burnt bacon from uh, Beep's fast you food. You seem self assured. That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought it was kind of cool, though, because even on a mystical level, right, getting back to this triangle thing, I think it's kind of fun to imagine that the visions are emanating from him, right? That being in this hospital, that maybe on some level all of this is unlocking from within. Yeah. So that not that the the fucking, uh, you know, bubblegum boy is – you know, the the antenna, essentially, he may have kicked it open right. and started fucking with the greater forces. But I like it reinforces this idea that we all have this horrible void inside of us. Right. Sure. That these miseries create these empty, dead places where it's cold and hard and we can't escape. And we're just worried they'll never be full. Right. right. That it'll take all of us into this abyss. And I think you see a little like even when she makes him coffee and. You know, they try to talk, but like he's so shut down and hateful, it feels like. Yeah. You almost, when he shoots the, the fucking murder nurse, you're like, I bet he liked that more than he should have, shooting something in scrubs. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, there's just a part of it where him seeing the visions before we start kicking everything off, I thought was really kind of a nice touch to the, the, the inner. Right. Well, I like the inner trauma. I I always, it's one of my favorite motifs about movies like this is like inner trauma is this like psychic lightning rod. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. And I think that's really important because those really like personal grief, personal trauma, those are the most powerful forces that you have to deal with in in like within your, in just in your mind. Like that is, those are truly difficult things to get past. Those are truly the hardest things to even like verbalize let alone consider in your brain so well imagine the pillars of our human society that are only exist because we are so bad at confronting and dealing with even small trauma right you know just look across the things you do in your life right you overly consume collectibles uh drugs alcohol therapy uh eating too much fast food and becoming a glutton right? right like there are so many things social media all these things in our society exist simply because being alone and quiet with ourselves right and the things that we have pushed so fucking far down we're hoping they never can come back is one of the most horrifying things about existence yes i mean it's pretty much i mean that's Man, that's the nail on the head right there, man. I'm not really sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's... how did you feel about um, angry Carhartt guys in her uh, in her hell? He has that great line. We're in hell. How did I? I mean, and then hell was his his home, man. He saw a vision of his wife right. and a baby. I mean, I thought that was cool. Man. I mean, that's Seeing cool. her amongst like, the monsters in a movie filled with monsters. Of... That's the cool thing about Ooh. this kind of thing. I mean, yeah. yeah what I... did you make of his moment, though? Right, because he has the. He turns, he's bad, then he apologizes and weeps right after he attacks his own son and gets fucking flared. And then he kind of sacrifices himself for him, you know? Like, I did it do enough to bring him back? Oh, hell no. No, he's not a hero. But, like, it's... (laughs) (laughs) But is he more relatable by the end where you're like, I feel fucking bad for this guy? I mean, yeah, anybody who has to go through something like that. Like, all these people I feel sort of bad for in a way. I'm like, well, that sucks. You all probably needed to talk about your issues beforehand, but nevertheless, except for Ellen yeah. Wong. 
But other than that, like, yeah, he had a really nice moment. And I do appreciate in a movie filled with, like, super weird, creepy shit, that's, like, the most relatable thing we see is this guy who literally was sitting there being like, fucking Carhartt over here doesn't know how to fucking shut his chat, shut, shut his trap. And then, like, he does have this really nice little moment. Like, again, you said it earlier in the pod, and I agree with you. Like, the movie functions very well because you do get these smaller moments with these characters and they do get their own little B plots like without detracting from the main source of plotting in this movie. But I, uh, yeah, I liked it. I like those kinds of things. And I like that it's very normal as opposed to the rest of the movie. It's like, of course this is this guy's personal hell. It's cool too, because it's normal, but it's also one of the more horrifying moments. Yes. Which is we go into this guy's, what was his his life, his refuge, back when he was just a normal grumpy motorcycle cowboy hat guy instead of Carhartt murder grumpy guy, whatever his deal is. Um, And what he does is he blames his trauma on his young son who had his vocal cords cut out, I think is what the movie says in this incident. And he tries to kill his own son, the only thing he has left in the world, who's been his partner and he's been protecting. And he's just, you didn't protect them foisting that on his fucking son that he wasn't there and he should have done it even though he was a kid and got maimed and whatever happened yeah um which i think links to the doctor the doctor like she got sent to that house and that's part of it right um but him him breaking down in that way and trying to kill his own son it's one of the more truly horrific things that happens in the movie and it's happening in this fucking you know meat locker yeah (laughs) <laughs> and it's that that's a really it's a really strong move to come away from all that work you've done to make those contorted beasts and just be like, here's a really fucking scary but heartfelt yeah. moment. I thought that was rad, man. I um, I'll tell you another scene that just fucked me up was uh, the thought that I was going to see the nurse trainee actually cut into that belly. Oh, yeah. No, see, I was mm-hmm. and I'd seen it before. But in my mind, I'm like. Did I just block out like a a rushed C section? Yeah, I know. And I was cringing, horrified that that was about to be re put into I my. Can brain. Tell you right now, I've been in the room. My wife had a C section. I never need to see that shit again. It's yeah, I mean, that's major surgery. That's, that's horrifyingly made. Yeah, it's huge. Horrifying. But just her shaking, and he's like, "You got to do it." I will say, if there's one thing that baffles me in this movie. I don't understand the double pregnancy. Uh, so yeah, it's weird, isn't she's it? She's pregnant with a vessel, right? But then she stands up, not in pain now, slices Grampy open, and the the triangle white supremacists walk her down to the basement. Right? right. All right, that's part of the ritual. She probably could have been in on this faster. I don't know why her and the guys in white don't just like go down there to start the movie i don't understand it's very weird i don't other people need to come in it's probably the biggest i agree it's weird yeah but when she goes down right and he's like i'm gonna help you and save you yeah uh we see something roiling in her belly and it's horrifying uh we come out and she is just like viscera spider webs with a ripped open stomach yeah that scene is so lovely though in a weird uh, that's not probably the right word for it but it's beautiful filmmaking yeah I, i'm not sure lovely is the way i'd put it but i agree with the sentiment it is a uh... think about this though the guy walks back into the worst night of his life right it's in an or the baby's in trouble mm-hmm. 
He's holding her hand, and then her hand turns to dust, and we just see tendrils yeah. everywhere. Uh, something looks like it has exploded out of her. Then he still sees her like, no, don't do it. When he chops her fucking head off, as the camera pulls down that hallway, and we see that. It's, it's fucking beautiful, but gut-wrenching. I don't understand, because... The doctor says, I gave her what he what she wants. I made her a mother. And I was like, but we never did we ever see what came out of her? No, I don't think so. Or is that her version of hell that she's trapped in the same way biker grumpy Carhartt guys trapped in his own home murdering his son? Like, uh, I'm a I don't little know mixed if that's up the on case. That. But I mean, I don't think we ever see what's coming out of her. But I also think that no, I don't know if that's the same thing. Maybe it is. I mean, I guess yeah, it would, like, ma- I guess it would make sense in the context of the movie. I yeah, I can buy that. Yeah, and, and we see... Yeah, that, that scene was fucking just devastatingly haunting, right? I love that fucking moment. Uh, she's obviously dead and within the void. I guess the, the him tackling the flayed man into the triangle and the triangle disappearing is a weird... That ending was very strange. I'm glad they added on the extra image. It's almost the only time in the movie they're like, we got to explain a hair more. Yeah. I will. I got to be honest. Scene like, of them just in this alien vista. Oh, go ahead. I mean, the first time I saw the movie, I assumed when the guy makes it back to the hospital, like after he's being like chased by the hamburger, by the hamburglar. I she assumed gets as the reality closes back up. Yeah, I assumed that was where it was going to end, and like we like did a big like one of those big zoom outs, like a big crane shot out, off the hospital. The mm-hmm. fact that it ends there on this alien plane with them looking up to a huge pyramid is like I was trying to figure out what like this is the thing that I was like really focused on actually because it's like I have to ask this question. Are they in another dimension or are they on another planet? What do you think is happening? Like, I I couldn't tell you, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's 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 a hell concept, right? That whether it's an extra dimension or an alien plane, what have you. Right. I think there was two things that I took away. One, the man he tackled in there is nowhere to be seen. Right. right? We see these shadowy figures, the, the floating colossal pyramid. Um. What I love about the moment, right, is to me it doesn't matter where they are uh, or even if they are, right, to get super existential about it. Right. What I think it is, though, is it's a nice little bow tie of – and I don't know that it it necessarily is a clean bow tie, but them staring into the face of the abyss, the void, the unexplainable, the horrifying images that they're taking in on an alien world where they can somehow breathe and this and that – that's a horrifying moment, right? But right. The two of them facing it down and actually just reaching for each other's hands. That's the moment that seals it. So I'm like, I don't know how that works because in the real life, uh, you know, the guy you can't talk and the nurse intern are definitely going to jail for the rest of their lives, you know, because they're just going to be like, what the fuck happened in here? There is carnage everywhere. It's just you. T- what? Right. Why are all these white supremacists strewn about? Like, what's happening? They're leading a horrible life, right? We just don't address that, which a lot of horror movies don't. Like, they don't address crime scenes five minutes after movies end. Right. Um, but what I like is that what it says is that whether it's something they learned, right? Because he he keeps – he's being choked to death, and he's like, just release. You know, once you go through the door and you're dead, 
uh, you can be with them. So it feels like an after-death realm. But more than anything, it's just... I think that's the thing that, that shows the fatal flaw of the doctor's plan, right? That although he became this greater being and he had these gifts, he didn't appreciate his daughter coming back, right? He was sacrilegious to his own mission, right? Right, where he saw himself as a god. What's cool is that that moment makes their pain and their hurt earlier in the movie deeper because it is so fucking fleeting. And even being in that, that void of grief, right? Right. If you just have someone whose hand you can hold, that's the whole game. There's no other game. Right. When we're gone, we're gone. And just holding on to someone tight and being able to have someone to hold on to and love, even though you've lost something enormous, uh, you still have something even bigger here, right? right? I thought that was a really shockingly poetic final moment for me it, it really sat with me a lot i love that image no i agree i love i i do like that i do like that hand-holding moment at the end it's beautiful it says a lot it also says a lot i mean i like the in the face of everything we're gonna still we're gonna do this i, I like that a lot yeah. and that's and you don't get the sense that it's great for them no they're like i mean they're, they're gonna literally build like doing a it like we're gonna die <laughs> yeah. anyway so let's just get yeah. this let's do this this is not going to turn into a Blue Lagoon swimming orgy. Like, this is not good for them. Right. But in a way, it is, because they finally got that moment, right? They've kind of been standoffish and at each other's throats. Even when he's going to save her, he's like, I reserve the right to hate my wife right now. Right. And all that shit just went away, man, and they held hands. And I I think that's one of the, the real testaments to the movie, is that in a movie that has so much blood and guts, they have a lot of heart in there, too, man. That's the most important meat. Agreed. You got to have that. All right, guys, that's it for The Void. Uh, fucking stunner, man. Great movie. What an awesome fucking, fucking awesome movie. movie. Uh, oh, Danny girl, we are in your uh, debt for selecting it. Thank you for that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode uh, in your stocking. Guys, we have more stocking stuffers to come. We're trying our best to finish the year strong. Uh, we've got some really good ones coming up, so stay tuned. Again, buy some gifts and stocking stuffers at Manscaped.com. Use code FILM. At checkout for 20% off and free shipping. And that way they also know that we sent you. That's important. Please take a second. Leave us a rating and review wherever you find the pod. That helps us out a ton. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Film Alchemist. Uh, follow us on all the social media you're on. That way you can help us spread the word of the pod. We appreciate that as well. Email the show. Filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with movies you'd like to see covered and guests you'd like to have us talk to in the hopefully dramatically better and less fucking horrible void of despair that was 2021. Uh, so for the film alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Tandino. 